from Parkway Church in Kurana, this is the Parkway Podcast. Our prayer is that this message blesses and encourages you today as you listen. If you would like to know more information on who we are as a church, you can visit our website, weareparkway.com. We're in a a series called Back to School. The story goes of a a preacher in, in, in England in the 1800s, I think it was, uh, talking and speaking with some coal miners. And he says to a coal miner, he says, what do you believe? Well, I believe the same as the church. Well, what does the church believe? Well, the church believes the same as me. And the speaker, thinking he's getting nowhere, says, well, what do you both believe? And he says, well, I guess we believe the same thing. And it's said that, you know what, some Christians know about as much as what they believe as that coal miner. We don't really know what we believe, but what we believe will shape who we are. It will shape how we relate to one another. It will shape how we relate to God. It will shape our lives. So it's important, and that's what this series is about, is knowing what we believe, specifically what we believe about God and what we believe about the Bible and what we believe about the Holy Spirit and so on. And so we're just laying some track. We're laying some foundation, getting back to school for some of us. I don't know if you've been to school. Some of us, it's been a long time since we've been to school, and so we're a little bit out of it. Sometimes we, we don't school ourselves. We don't study ourselves in the Word, which we should. And so our heart behind this is just getting back to some basics of what we believe as a local church and as Orthodox Christians. And so my question for you this morning, and then I'm going to pray, is what do we believe about church? What does it mean to be, to go, to have church? So bow your heads with me one more time. We'll pray, and then we'll get into it. Dear Jesus, we just thank you for this day. We thank you that we have opportunity to get together, Lord, to worship you, to hear from your word, God, to pray over people, to actually believe, God, that what we say and what we believe about the Bible is true and actually put it into practice as we just lay our hands on people, believing for faith, Lord. And we just pray as we turn our attention to your word, maybe you reveal something new to us, maybe encourage us, Lord, as the church, Father God, to be the church this morning. Open our eyes, Father God, and I pray, Lord, as we look towards even life groups, God, that we'd be encouraged, God, to do life with others as the church body. Lord, we love you and we bless you. Holy Spirit, speak to us as only you can. In Jesus' name, amen. So what comes to mind when I say the word church? Awesome. That's the best answer I did not write down. Awesome. Fellowship. Good. Good. Probably things like today, right? Sunday, this building, Parkway, this organization, right? Maybe the programs, maybe religious service, pastors, youth pastors, probably things like that mission strip. And even if you know where I'm going with this, even if you know the biblical answer, those things probably still pop up in your mind. Because we say things like, well, I'm going to church today. What time's church at? Do you want to come to church? What happened at church today? How was church today? We say things like that. If you ask others, they'll say things like, well, the church is anti-homosexual. What comes to mind when you think of church? Judgmental. Hypocritical. They'll say things like that. Boring. I hope not. I don't want to be here if it's boring. Too political. Out of touch with reality. Insensitive. And then you ask others, and they'll say the church is the hope of the world. So what is the church? What is the church? 
Biblically speaking, what is the church? Is it a holy building where spiritual meetings take place? Is it a Eucharistic society where we believe God gives grace through bishops and, and sacraments? Is it, is it a moral police of a society that's just out to, be, to modify behavior and, and rule and control people? What we believe about church will impact how we relate to church. Just because we, be, just because we say one thing doesn't necessarily mean we believe that. Because how we relate to something determines and reveals what we believe about that something. Or we are hypocritical. Right? I grew up in a, in a home where church was life. It was like, church was like a second home. We were at church in midweek. We were at church for prayer meetings even as, as a young kid. I remember like sleeping during prayer meetings. That was life for me. I remember sleeping on pews. I remember playing on pews. I remember eating at church. I remember... I remember doing all sorts of things at church, Sunday evening service, you remember those? I remember midweeks, I remember youth, I remember small groups, like we, we basically breathed church outside of school and home. Church was life. But I don't remember as a kid ever really knowing what church was, what church really meant, what it meant to be the church. I don't remember learning about what the Bible said about church. Peter made a confession of faith one time. Jesus said, who, who do you say I am? And Peter said, you are the Messiah. You are the Son of God. And, Pe and Jesus said this. He says, blessed are you. You are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. I will build my church. I love that. I will build my church. First and foremost, what we need to understand when, it think, when we think of church is that the church is God's idea. It's not man's idea. It's not a man-made invention. It's not like some smart guys got together collectively and said, let's build an organization that we can gather and we can sing some songs and, and we can control people or we can do some things and it might be really nice. It's, it's God's idea. The original intent, design, purpose was not thought of by, by, God, by people but by God. What is the church? God's idea. It's God's idea. The church in its entirety. In its entirety. It's his church. It's not my church. It's not my church. It's not your church. And, and by definition, we can't really even say that, sort of. Because by definition, the church is not a thing that you can possess, right? It's, it's, it's not a thing that you go to. It's a people you are a part of. And I know a lot of you know this. You're like, man, I've heard this before hundreds of times. Well, we need to be refreshed the word church comes from the Greek word called ecclesia. Look at somebody and say ecclesia. Ecclesia. Sounds really nice when you put your ecclesia. Well, maybe for me. Just trying to make it fun, church. Trying to make church fun. It literally means gathering, meeting, or assembly, right? It means gathering, meeting, or assembly. But behind all that is this, is this idea of being called out. It being called out. It was often used to indicate a gathering of citizens in a Greek city. So the citizens um, who were conscious of their privileged status over slaves and non-citizens were often called out from among the masses to gather. And so when the, when the early church, when the first Christians understood themselves as a church, it's likely that they perceived themselves like this, as called out by God among the masses. You are the church. You are called out by God from among the masses. And then in the Old Testament, when the Old Testament was, was Hebrew, it was written in original Hebrew, was translated to Greek, they used the word ecclesia in place of the word assembly. 
And it had, again, the, the same idea to describe the assembly of prophets, for instance, or soldiers, or Israel as a whole. And so when the first Christians began to understand themselves as the church, they had this, this idea in mind, this, this gathering of called out people in and for Jesus. It's not a building. It's not a thing that we go to. It's not, it's not an institution. It's not a, an archaic organization. It's a people called out by Jesus. It's a people, a gathering, called out and united in Jesus. So we don't go to church, although we say that. I'm going to church today. We, we don't go to church. We go to a building where the church gathers, where the, where the people gather, where the called out ones gather, right? And so further in the New Testament, the term church had a, had a local and it had a universal connotation to it, a meaning. It was, described to, it was used to describe local congregations such as the church in Antioch or the church in Corinth. The New, New Testament speaks of each church. It, it talks about all the churches. The term had a universal meaning as well, meaning the, the body of believers as a whole, right? Like when it's said of Jesus that he is the head of the church. doesn't mean he's the head of that church, even though some churches, though they call themselves churches, don't actually put Christ as the head. The universal church is God's people in all times and all places. Someone is a part of the universal church by virtue of just being a Christian. By just being a Christian, you're part of the universal church, but then there's the local church or smaller gatherings of the universal church where Christians assemble and gather. Like today, this is a local assembly, right? This is a local gathering of, of the universal church. And you'll see different expressions, and you'll see differences in, in style, and you'll see differences in, in maybe minor beliefs and, and methods. But when we look at the Bible, in the New Testament, the term church had two kind of ideas. One was the identifier of the group of people called out by Jesus, and two, those people who gathered regularly in local assemblies. So it was not enough, looking at the, the New Testament, looking at Acts specifically, it was, it's not enough to be a part of the universal church, because by definition, the term implies gathering with people. By definition, the term implies getting together, assembling together. As, as people who are called out by, by God. I didn't make this stuff up, right? This is, this is God's idea. What is the church? It's God's idea. Jesus said, I will build my church. So the day came in Acts chapter 2. The day came, Jesus said, I will build my church. And then the day came in Acts chapter 2 when this church was birthed, universal. Jesus said, just before he ascended into heaven, he said, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will receive power and you'll be my witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so this, these people, these disciples, were gathered in one place, the Bible says. They were unified. They were, they were together, physically together, praying. And the Spirit was poured out and empowered them, filled them, and they spoke in other tongues, the Bible says. They spoke in other tongues. Sometimes we hear that on a Sunday morning, right? It's a gift of the Spirit. They, the, the Spirit of God poured, them, poured out on them, filled them, and gifted them and enabled them to be the power of God to be a witness. Now, there was, a, there was another gathering happening in the area at the time. It was a festival of the Jews. And there were Jews from all over different nations and tribes and, and different tongues. And they heard this. They heard what was happening in this gathering. And they started thinking, man, these people are drunk. Because they're starting to hear these, these, these tongues. They're starting to hear these words. How many times are we, people look at church and be like, man, that's weird. There is a level of weirdness to it, right? These, this, this group of people, this other, it's midday. Someone's like, it's 5 o'clock somewhere, you know. It's midday. 
And then Peter gets up, boldly preaches to them by the power of the Spirit. And it says that those who accepted the message believed and were baptized. And the Lord added about 3,000 to the number that day. The beginning of the church. The beginning of the church. Beginning of church. It goes on to say in Acts chapter 2, after this, we read something of, of a little bit of a picture of what this church and this gathering became like. Thousands of people, right? Because there's at least 3,000. There's 120. We got 3,120 people at least, minimum average around their ballpark. Acts chapter 2, it says, these people, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone in need. Every day, every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This was the beginning of the church. Universal. This was the beginning of the church. And from, from here and the whole chapter of Acts, really the whole book of Acts, we get a picture of what this church was like. And so when we're asking the question, what is the church? What, is, what does it mean to be church? What comes to mind when we think of church? It's, it's crucial that we look back to the, to the book of Acts because that's really the historical account of it all. And I got eight characteristics from the book of Acts for you this morning, and then I'm going to end with a challenge for you. The first is this. The church is made up of regenerated believers. So by definition, you become part of a church, not because you attend a service, not because you, you come and you sit in a nice comfy chair, though they're comfortable, right? Not because of that, but, but because you give your life to Jesus, you surrender to him as Lord, and the Spirit of God takes residence in your life. He changes you from the inside out. The church is made up of regenerated people people who have been altered, people who have been transformed from the inside out. My, my boys, like, have you ever heard of that Disney movie, Inside Out? My boys love this movie, and it's centered around this, this little girl who goes through a crazy life change, and she's trying to navigate this life change, this event, by, by all her different emotions. But the movie kind of just jumps into her body a little bit, and then you see that these emotions are actual beings that are controlling her from the inside out, right? If you know, if you know the movie. Some of you have no idea what I'm talking about, but that's okay. But in, a, in, a, in, a, in the same vein, the church is made up of people who have been changed by the inside out, not people who have altered behavior on the outside, right? Not, not people who just look nice and look the part and cut their, their, their lawn in nice straight lines and show up on a Sunday and serve on a Sunday. That doesn't make you part of, of, this, of this gathering. The church is made up of people who are born again kind of, kind of a thing. They've been changed. When someone looks at you, like, you're different. Yes, I am. The church is made up of regenerated believers. No, now let me say this. At Parkway, you can belong before you believe. Like, you can be a part of this organization. You can be a part of the activities. You can be a part of what we do, and we celebrate that, and we love that. You can serve, and you can volunteer, and, and you can tithe, and, and, you, can, and you, can, you can belong before you believe. But by, by biblically speaking, to be a part of, of the church Jesus talks about, the body of changed people, that happens when you give your life to Jesus. So you can belong here. You can say, I go to Parkway Church, and amen to that. I'm, I'm all for that. I love that. But to be a part of the church, not the organization, but the church that Jesus talks about, 
There needs to be regeneration that happens inside, from the inside out. Active engagement isn't the sole identifier. Active engagement isn't the sole identifier, but the change of heart. Number two, the church is organized under qualified and competent leadership. Some of you are like, competent? I'm just kidding. That was a a rip at myself, okay? You're like not laughing. I'm not going to laugh at that because you're whatever. Still not going there. The church is organized under qualified and competent leadership. In Acts chapter 2, we see the apostles exercising authority and, and teaching the, the whole church. And throughout, the, throughout Acts, the book of Acts, we see leadership making wise decisions and, and sending out members to authenticate revival. There was, the gospel was spreading, the spirit of God was moving, and leaders actually said, hey, let's go verify that this is actually happening. They appointed elders, they gave authority over doctrinal disputes. We see in the New Testament the descriptions of elders and, and deacons in the formation of ministry teams. Teams. And, and when Paul planted church, he, he established leadership to guide them. He himself even submitted to leadership. Leadership are a gift from God. And this is really weird for me to talk about this as a leader myself. But God patterned the church, the, the, the gathering of called out people to be governed by leadership. And every one of us, including the leadership, comes under leadership, comes under authority. And that's what it's about. It's about having someone to, that to hold this and trust in it. We step out of the accountability. Right? We step out of the accountability. We step out of the authority, and we become the authority in and of ourselves, which is a scary place. When we do no longer submit, and we, I'm saying we, even as leadership, when we no longer submit to leadership, to authority, we become an island where we are our own authority. But we are infallible, or we are fallible, sorry, we are not infallible. Jesus is infallible. We are fallible. We are, we are broken. We are imperfect we cannot be in positions where we are the ones that govern ourselves. God designed the church in such a way to, to submit to authority. It's his idea, not ours. And even the authority, the board submits to authority, and I submit to authority. I got, I've said this before. I got a lot of authority over me. I got, I got the board that holds me accountable. I got my wife that's the ultimate accountability, right? <laughs> I, got, I got the POC. I'm credentialed with the POC. Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada, so they have authority over me. I got to submit to them, and they have authority over them. I got a lot of authority over me. I got people watching me, which is scary and incredibly important because I got people that, that can use the scriptures and, and use guidelines and say, hey, you're stepping a little bit to the left or to the right, or hey. That's what we need as people. The Bible says to submit to leadership, it also says to submit to one another. Right? There's, there's this idea of, of organization under qualified and competent. Leadership. Number three is the church regularly gathers to hear God's word preached and responds in worship. It says in Acts chapter 2, it says that they gathered in temple courts and to fellowship, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Look at somebody and say devoted. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, not because they felt like they had to, but because their regenerated hearts wanted to. They understood the purpose and value of understanding and knowing the scriptures. They understood the value of hearing what the word has to say. Many of these people grew up in, as, at this time, when Acts chapter 2 was written, this, this section that we read, as Jews. They were Jews. They devoted themselves to it as their heart was changed. I got to learn more about this guy, Jesus. I got to learn more about the scriptures because it forms and shapes my life. And so they devoted themselves to, to the hearing of God's word and not just the hearing and teaching of God's word, but to worship. It says that they gathered to praise God and had favor. Worship is a response to the revelation of Jesus in our life. 
And worship is not, is not just an expression of adoration and proclamation, which we do on every Sunday morning we gather, right? We gather and we sing songs, and the team leads us in songs, and, and they're nice songs, and, and we lift our hands, and these are all expressions of worship. And that is worship, but that is not worship alone. Worship is also action. When we've been changed by Jesus, we, we, give, we give God what he's worth by serving God. Right? The Bible says that Jesus said these people praise me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. You can come and you can sing a song and raise a hand and high-five your neighbor. But, but the actions of your life, the actions of your life will determine your worship. Is your worship. Some of you are like, this afternoon I'm going to go worship that, that football team. You didn't say that, but that's what you might do. You'll hoot and holler and you'll shout and scream. You'll go crazy, and if someone interrupts you, you're just zoned in. You don't even listen. You're just like, I don't even hear what you say right now. It's just one in your way or the other. Some of you know that because you're the spouse of that said person. And, and listen, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not nailing the guys because the roles could be reversed here, right? Some of you are like, my wife is obsessed. But our lives determine, our lives will, will sh- don't determine, our lives will show us what we worship. So the church gathers to hear the word and to worship. They praise God and had favor, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Number four is that the church is where the biblical sacraments are performed. So sacraments or ornaments are religious traditions or rituals and ceremonies that are often performed and observed in churches. And and all sorts of local churches and denominations will have different sorts of sacraments and different sorts of ordinances. But the primary two that, that are done that actually reveal Jesus, that actually remember Jesus, are baptism and you'll remember that from a couple weeks ago, we had a number of baptisms here, which is awesome. And if you're looking to get baptized, hey, listen, you didn't miss your time. You didn't miss your opportunity because we will fill up that water for anybody, okay? But baptisms and the Lord's Supper, the breaking of bread, or this is called communion. Just so you know, we, we practice communion. The, we try to do it the first Sunday of every month. And it's a time that we set aside, that we remember what Jesus did by, by taking by taking a little wafer and by taking a little juice, and this is the action of breaking bread. But in the scriptures, they ate meals together. They took a meal and they broke bread. That's the idea. When you read that, it says they broke bread together. That's the idea of communion, remembering what Jesus has done. And the church is where these biblical sacraments are performed. It says in Acts chapter 2 that those who believed the message were baptized. They were baptized, publicly declared their faith, and that the people broke bread together. They ate together and they remembered regularly the sacrifice of Jesus. Number five is the church is in pursuit of and disciplined in holiness. So it's the church's idea, this, this desire, it's the church's desire, this gathering of called out people, right? Not the institution, not Parkway Church, not the leadership, but it's the di- desire of the assembly of people to be in pursuit of Christ-likeness. And we do this by mutual submission, mutual submission and accountability to each other and to the Word of God. So the word of God, and we talked about this a few weeks ago, is our highest authority. It's our standard, right? It's, it's if we believe one thing and the word of God says another, we, we, that's Trump status. That's when someone plays the Trump card and says, this is it. It's our highest authority. And then mutual accountability, mutual submission. The Bible says, again, to submit ourselves to one another. The Bible says to confess your sins to one another, right? To, to gather together. To use the scripture for teaching and correcting and training that we can become more and more like Jesus. You cannot do this on your own. You cannot do this on your own. 
And that's part of why we do something like life groups. It's because we believe that the pursuit of holiness, the pursuit of becoming more and more like Jesus is incredibly valuable. Not only valuable, but important. And not only important, but we are called to be holy, the Bible says. God says, be holy because I am holy. And we believe that this comes and happens in community. Iron sharpens iron. When we rub shoulders with people, we grow. We grow. The people you surround yourself with will cause you to grow one way or the other. So make sure you surround yourself with people that are going to cause you to move upwards, move forwards. So that's why we do things like life groups, so we can actually not just come and sit in a chair like a movie theater, but we can come and we can do life together. We can do life. We can break bread together, not just one Sunday a month, but in our homes, in our gatherings. And the reason these are shaped in different ways, with different kinds of activities and different kinds of, of groups, different types of gatherings, is because we are all different. We're all in different stages of life. We're all, we all have different circumstances. We're all built and shaped differently. Some of you love to quilt. I hate quilting. Some of you like to run. I hate running. We don't have either of those life groups, but if you'd like to start one of those life groups, go and run together. And as you're running, talk about Jesus. Did you know that Jesus, when he, when he, when he was resurrected, he appeared to two disciples, and on a journey, on a walk, they were, going, they were like walking together. They talked about the, the Word of God. And he revealed to them all the things that were in the Old Testament concerning himself on a walk, on a Bible study. You do whatever, but it might be on a Bible study. But we do life in pursuit of holiness. And part of our church is, part of our mission as a church is to find freedom. We can't do that alone. And I don't know if you're catching this, but the main vein that goes throughout all these descriptions and purposes, the, the main idea is this, of this gathering of church people is that you can't do it alone. I wonder if there's a reason why Jesus said where two or three are gathered, there I am in the midst. He didn't say when you're alone by yourself in your room. Although he did say that when you go alone and you pray, your father will reward what you've done in secret. So there is very value and merit to that. But we can't do life alone. The scriptures, you know, back in the day, back when, when they would have these, this, uh, these letters written, it was written, written to a group of people. It was written to the church in Ephesus. And someone would come up and they'd take Paul's letter and he would, they would physically read it. And then they would share it with the other churches. It was to a, to a community. It was never individual. Now, it's incredibly valuable to have important and great that we can have a Bible on our own and we can study on our own and we can read it on our own. We can grow on our own, but we can only grow so much on our own. We need to do it together. Together. It's a main vein. The church is a collective entity and we build, we are built for and grow in community. Which leads to this. The church is unified. Number six, the church is unified by belief and shared life in Christ. It says that all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions and gave to anyone who had need. This was a unified gathering. Everyone thought of others. Right? This is not a divided gathering. This is not a selfish gathering. This was a gathering of unified people that said, you got, you got a need? I don't have anything that can meet that need, but I have stuff I could sell. When was the last time you sold your stuff for somebody else? We might lend our stuff. The Bible says to lend without expecting a return. But when was the last time you're like, man, I'm going to sell my boat? Some of you are like, don't call me out, pastor. Don't call me out. My boat. I want a boat. When was the last time you sold your sneakers, right? You, 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 you sold something. You got rid of something to provide. And it's hurt. It's, it's, it's hurtful to look at stuff like this because it convicts us to the core, right? All of a sudden we're like, shoot, I've been buying a lot of stuff for myself. And not thinking about the someone that's sitting in this congregation, in this room right now, that's suffering. But they had everything in common because they are unified. Unified life together, family. We can't be unified if we don't come together. 
right? We can't, we can't have everything in common if there isn't a relational aspect to what we do. Paul said this. He said, do good, especially to those in the body of believers, especially to those in the family of God. We need to share life together. And listen, you're not going to sell your possessions for someone in this room unless you really care and love that person in this room, unless your heart breaks. It's another reason why we need to do life together because our heart needs to break for one another. It needs to say, yeah, that's a big sacrifice for me, but you're in greater need. Everything in common, everything in common. Not just the leadership, right? Not just the organization. The we, the gathering, the gathering, the gathering. Some people will say this. I've heard this throughout my, my tenure in church leadership. What's the church going to do about it? And it's kind of like this projection of what is the, what is the organization, the institution going to do about it? It's like now I feel better because I, I put on somebody else. I want to flip the switch. You're right. What is the church going to do about it? What is the church going to do about it? Well, we should do this. And then they leave it. Well, yeah, we should. How are we going to start? There's silence in the room. I'm convicted this morning. Can I just say that? I myself am convicted by this. I preach out of a position of conviction. I get passionate because I feel convicted myself. Stuff needs to change, right? It's good. What's happening is good, but it can be better. Number seven, which leads to this. The church follows Christ's great commandment to love. So Paul the Apostle in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 speaks of this gathering of people like a body. He says this body is made up of many parts, just like our own physical bodies, and each part has a role to play. Each, each part is gifted with different abilities and talents for a purpose. Just so you know, you have gifts and talents that are used to serve in the church, the Bible says. It says for the common good, for the collective, for the whole. But then he goes on to say in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, we know this as the love chapter. It's the most excellent way. He says, I will show you the most excellent way. I will show you how to be this body of believers. I will show you how to use these gifts. And then he goes on to describe love in such a way that he says, if you have the best gifts in all the world, it means nothing without love. Because love is the ultimate. Love is supreme. Love causes you to sell your possessions for somebody else. Love. Bible says, Jesus said, he says, they will know you are my disciples by your love not for me, for one another. For one another. They will know you are my disciples by how you love each other. If we can't love each other, man, how's anybody going to know? We can throw on the best event. We can, we can love everybody in our community. But if we can't love each other, Jesus says they will know you by your love for each other. Family. Family. We're called to love God, but also love others. You can't, you can't have one without the other. We were talking with our boys often that the, the way we show love for God, because for a six-year-old and a four-year-old, I, I, we're not talking with Emmy yet because she's not even one yet. She doesn't totally understand, right? But we talk with our boys, and they do not totally understand what, how we love God. How, how, can we, how can we love something that's not there, right, that, that we don't physically see? It's hard for that, that small mind to understand. And I said, well, we show love for God by how we treat other people. Love others. So the church follows Christ's great command to Love. We don't have to like each other. You don't have to like the people in this room. Some of you are like, I don't even like you, Pastor Carl. That's fine. <laughs> I don't like you either. 
but we're called to love each other. And love trumps the like. Love says, do you know what? Our personalities may clash at times, but we're family. We come together. Right? Love says at times, you know what? We butt heads and we don't get along, but we're family and I love you. And my love trumps my personality clashing with your personality. My love trumps us butting heads because I, I pursue unity. And just so you know, one of the other weapons the enemy uses outside of fear is division. If he can get division in the church, we are. We're messed up. We need unity. We need to fight for unity. And unity begins by, by, by unifying in your own head and on your own mind. It says, okay, do you know what? I don't feel this way about this said person or that what's going on, but I'm going to unify myself. I'm going to work for the, the common good, the whole. Finally, number eight, I'm going to ask Pastor Mitch to come up here. The church follows the great commission to spread the gospel and make disciples. So the church began, the first church began this gathering of people when they were praying together and the spirit was poured out onto them for a witness and then Peter spoke boldly and 3,000 people began. That's how the church began. The church began by somebody proclaiming the gospel to somebody else. And it says in Acts chapter 2 at the end of that description that I read of the earlier church, it says, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Why? Because I believe that they took, the early church took seriously the command by Jesus to be a witness. The Lord added to their number. Do you know that God grows the church? He says, I will build my church. We don't grow it. Strategy doesn't grow it. We just play our part. He adds to their number. He adds to their number. He added to their number. I believe that if we take the mandate, the biblical mandate of what it means to be the church, that this room would flood with people who come to know Jesus. It will not happen until we take that seriously. People come to know Jesus when the church steps up and be the church. The hands and feet of Jesus. For whatever reason, God's chosen means to spread his message of hope is us. It's people, the gathering of called out people. Unlike the citizens of the Greek city that felt like privileged and statused because they were called out from among the masses. We are called out from the masses to reach the masses. When the, when the ladies came and they, they came to the, to the tomb to see if Jesus was there to sprinkle him with some spices and anoint his body and the, they saw that the temple, the, the, the stone was rolled back and the angel was sitting there. He says, go and see, go take a look and then go and tell. Go and tell the disciples. So there was this idea, it's like come and see. Come and be a part of what God is doing. Yeah, you're part of the fold, you're part of the family of God. Learn and grow, let's worship together. Let's break bread together. Let's do life together. Now go and tell somebody else. We fail at being the church. We fail at being the church when we stop spreading the gospel. And listen, I get it. We're human and we're imperfect. And sometimes we get home out and we're exhausted and it's hard to, to talk to our neighbor and we're like trying to run in the door really quick. Some of you are like, what are you talking about? I'm, I'm the one that's running towards the neighbor. But sometimes it's hard. We're imperfect. There are days we're human. God's not like, oh, today you didn't do well. I'm going to put that mark on there. Thursday, you screwed up. But when the collective whole fails, when the collective, when the gathering, when we stop spreading the gospel, we're no longer being the church. You will receive power. My spirit comes upon you. You will be my witnesses. My witnesses. The story continues in Acts. Church spreads out, the gospel goes, 
people get saved. Because Jesus said, I will build my church. It's not a man-made invention. The original tent, purpose, and design was, was God's plan. The hope of the world. It's his church. You, me, we are his church. Parkway is his church. Jesus is the head of this church, just so you know. He's the apostle who planted it. He is the, the leader who builds it. He's the chief shepherd who rules it. He's the judge of this church. He's present with this church. It's his church. And I thank God we get to be a part of it. It's not just something we go to. It's not a building where we gather. It's not programs we attend. It's the people we are. And we must strive to be people who live and breathe and pursue what it means to be the church. Thank you so much for listening. We hope that this message brought you closer with Jesus and gave you a better understanding of your walk with him today. If you would like to know more about who we are as a church, you can visit our website, weareparkway.com. You can also like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram at parkway.church.